today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, and on the line with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, good afternoon, Scott. Elliot, while we are uh, mourning the loss of uh, 41 of, of President Bush and, and talking about his legacy and such, are people making the comparison to where we are now in the current president? I think the president currently fears that is the case. Uh, yes, it's kind of inevitable. The uh, the headline in one of the major newspapers in the U.S. is saying, Honorable, Gracious, and Decent, in death, Bush becomes a yardstick for President Trump. Wow. That is certainly the case. By the way, that's a, a quote from President Clinton in his eulogy, his comment. And, of course, Clinton is the one who defeated uh, George Bush and made him a one-term president. So is this changing the discussion uh, moving forward in the United States at all? Or is this just something that happens until the funeral and then we move on? The reminder of what used to be is out there for Republicans as well as for Democrats and just general citizens. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that John McCain passed away. And just before doing so, he said that he called himself not an isolationist, protectionist, immigrant-bashing, scapegoating, get-nothing-useful-done Republican. That is, a solid rebuke of, of how Trump does business. I think there's a nostalgia for that era. I think there's a nostalgia for civility. I think there's a, a real hope that, if I could use a, a term in regard to the Bushes and perhaps contemporary politics, moral rectitude uh, seems to be in decline. We should remember that the Bush dynasty actually started with Senator Prescott Bush of Connecticut, and then his son became president, and then the son's son became president. So it's a, a very um, it, it's it's a um, dynasty, but one which some people would say there was a steady decline of the kind of old-fashioned moral rectitude that Prescott Bush embodied, and that his son embodied but somewhat less in a more mixed pattern. And by the time you got to George Bush, you know, the 43, uh, that kind of sense of moral rectitude seems to have gone. And certainly in Republican presidents since then, Democrats too, after all, Clinton had his issues. So moral rectitude, I think, um, is being mourned in its absence in America. How did we get here? Hmm. I think that's going to be discussed for a very long time. Uh, the big pictures to me seems to be the uh, the you know the view of of of, what, of our species that we have the capacity for good and tendency toward evil, and there are presidents and leaders who emphasize the one, and the others you know who draw upon the other tendency that we have. I think in, if you, the most immediate situation uh, has more than one source. First of all has been the Republican Party choice over several generations now to become basically, as John McCain has put it, um, he's not going to be that scapegoating, get nothing done, isolation. But the racist component that has been taken over from the Democrats who relied on the solid South and under Nixon it was taken over by the Republicans to go for the solid South on, on that area. We have to remember that the Bush that we are now mourning it was in his campaign against George Dukakis that we had one of the most infamous, up until modern times anyway, up until Trump 
one of the most infamous racist ads in American history, and that's the Willie Horton ad. So the the willingness of Ronald Reagan to talk about welfare queens, that the race baiting and the and the utility of using race for electoral purposes has been, I think, is, is one big factor in where we are today. The second and more immediate one, I think, has been the crisis of, of the economy, which peaked uh, with the crisis in 1997-1998. So we had a, really a global, I'm sorry, 2008, we have a global recession, and it was almost a global depression, and the Obama people came in and inherited that and, and tried to fix it and fixed it rather successfully. But income inequality and the notion that the system is rigged, uh, which that kind of depression and the way we got out of recession and how we got out of it, I think is underlying a lot of what we see in America. Many, uh, as we've said, will will look at uh, Bush this week and, and, and make the comparison. What about the Republican Party? The Republican Party, um, well, let's, let's take a look at... Uh, because in the end, they're right. responsible for this. Yes, the, the Republican Party will now pro- possibly face an imminent choice. Right now, the Republican Party clearly is Trump's party. There's no doubt about it. Uh, before the election, I, I was saying the Republicans set the table for the arrival of a Donald Trump. They, they just didn't think it was Donald Trump who was going to take it. That is, they had this subtle race baiting, and they had the, the appeal to... Uh, to all kinds of culture wars for the base and favoring favoring the rich for their for their tax policies and so forth, but they didn't think it would be a Trump that would take it. The immediate situation is in coming to the fact where we have a, a one-term president. Will Donald Trump succeed in 2020? Will he be challenged by a Republican challenger, calling for the kind of Republican Party that? Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush represented, and Ronald Reagan, in their view, represented, or is it going to increasingly become an isolationist, protectionist, immigrant-bashing, scapegoating, get-nothing-useful-done Republican Party? If if, uh, the Republican Party holds together, if there is no challenge in 2020, and there may well be a Republican Party primary challenge to Trump, we might have Brian Mulroney, we might have all kinds of things happening. But if Donald Trump makes it through 2020 and is reelected, then the Republican Party's made its choice. What about, you know, it, it just kept resonating with me over the week, the weekend, Bush saying, you know, we want a kinder, gentler America. And, right. and I'm thinking how that must have resonated with Americans. And I think it would again. I mean, the, I think, you remember that Obama got elected on, on hope and change, hope and change, and that we can do better. And Ronald Reagan's most famous speech is, you know, America, uh, it's morning in America, and America is a shining light on the hill or something, words to that effect. So uh, the, the lack of a vision right now by anybody that's capturing the public's attention in America, a positive vision, I think is... Uh, is, is going to be noticed as the defining feature of the coming elections. Can somebody with a positive vision, a shining city on the hill vision, uh, come back to power again, or are we into they're all rapists and they're out to they're out to get us? Uh, will the base make that comparison between the two? I think that you know the term the base is there and it's real, but the base becomes somebody else's base too. 
So the base that has been created and now solidified by Donald Trump is in large degree the Republican base anyway. He has added his own elements and certainly his own uh, style uh, to it. And as I said, if he cements his hold over the party through 2020, then that base is, is true to the Trump base that we see. And, we, and I think everybody's given up saying that Trump is going to change now he's president. There's no sign of that. So uh, America is in for a very rough patch in terms of each party defining what kind of party they want to be and what kind of vision they want to hold out for the future. What about the funeral uh, itself? Uh, obviously, Mulroney is going to do a eulogy. Yes. Uh, this will be filled with tributes, but you can't help but think there will be parallel comparisons, what have you, to the present. I mean, much like you know, we're, we're seeing allies, whether it's a G20 or whatever the summit of the day is, stand up and say, hey, we should be going in this direction, not that direction. Will we see this at the funeral as well? Funerals are a place where you do only praise, and yes, there may be some people who want to make a point. Brian Mulroney is uh, coming, he's being revealed to Canadians once again as a very skilled political person. He's, been, he's so close to the Bushes, but he's also very close to Donald Trump. And in fact, this is a, uh, uh, an asset for Canada that they've got a former leader who can be so close to the Republicans in America and uh, maybe influence the, the direction the Republicans take. This funeral is one huge notch above the funeral for John McCain as offering an alternative vision to Republicans and to Americans of what they can be. Uh, what, what will be Trump's reaction, response to all of this, all this week? <laughs> I think we're getting teleprompter Trump, uh, that is, the Trump who reads prepared speeches and can look presidential. He's saying the right kinds of things. He's taking the right kinds of decisions. He's acting very much as a conventional uh, president, Republican or Democrat, through this particular time period. We'll have to see how long that lasts. But it would it'd be wonderful to think that this is the beginning of a, of a return to a normal kind of president. Uh, but I don't the track record suggests that'll be the case. <laughs> We've had that discussion so many times, Elliot. Yeah. Do you think this is going to be the thing that changes the direction? And of course, no, it, it never really I, does. I never did say it would. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I guess I'm just hoping. Yes, um, I, I think America's hoping. What we have here is an example of a reminder of a different kind of an America, uh, an alternative kind of leadership, a different way that that moral rectitude can be demonstrated. But moral rectitude is not a term you would use for the Trump White House. I can't let you go without asking you your thoughts on uh, what happened during the, uh, the recent summit, specifically right. with um, uh, Trump deciding not to meet with Putin. And then, of course, the famous photograph or, or video of uh, Putin and the Saudi prince right. uh, giving each other quite a passionate handshake or high five or whatever you want to talk right. about it. Uh, you, you can just create the caption underneath that right. photo saying, uh, and I'm sure Trump's name would be in that. Well, what are your thoughts on all of that? Quick, two quick thoughts. One is that um, <laughs> I, since we're talking about George Bush, let's remember that he took advantage of the end of the Russian, the Soviet empire, to form a relationship with Gorbachev, the leader at the time, to lead to treaties on nuclear and chemical uh, uh, disarmament, 
containment. Uh, we have a situation today where that opportunity was lost at the G20. That is, the opportunity for Putin and Trump to meet was the second time that they could meet on the sidelines of international conferences after America pulled out of a major uh, nuclear missile defense treaty. So I was ho personally hoping for a revival of some sense that we might head to a, a less nuclear or world rather than more nuclear or more controlled nuclear world. So that's, that's a loss. But let's take a different view of this. We're talking about legacies. At that same G20, uh, not only was it a first of all, of uh, communicate, everybody could sign, which is a good thing. The, the G20 is, you know, the economic governance of the world and those leaders who can make it happen. Hmm. But Xi Jinping met with Donald Trump, and they seem to come so, to some kind of arrangement, whether they see it the same way or not, I'm not sure. But Donald Trump may end up with a great legacy as somebody who did what he said he was going to do, keep his promises, but turn the American economy around by not taking it anymore from the likes of a China and uh, others that have been taking advantage of America. His tactics, in retrospect, possibly will turn out to be successful tactics. Now, how that's going to play today in, in Oshawa and the other places where plants were <laughs> closed down, GM plants were closed down, is a different issue. But when we're talking about legacy, his legacy was to not just turn America domestically in one direction, which we've talked about, but globally, he said, he said, you know, America first means we are now going to not only be protectionist, but we're going to be uh, setting a different kind of international order. That happened partially at the G20. If this was Donald Trump's funeral we were talking about, what would we be saying then? Even if, say it was 10 years from now. Well, this is, that's what I was just trying to raise, yeah. is that, it's very easy for people in Canada in particular to forget that he carried 30 out of 50 states, that he has a loyal following, that many people, including inside Canada, feel that he's on the right track, that uh, he is delivering for those who had no voice. And if America's economic future is ultimately improved by the actions that he's taken, including the signing of NAFTA too. I'm, I, what name we're going to call it? Mm. He's he's now uh, bullying the Republican and Democratic Congress combined by threatening to cancel NAFTA. You've got to sign the deal that I have negotiated. Uh, if ten years from now we look back and say Iran was in, indeed contained because of his actions, and that the world economy has been altered in in a way that. Uh, led to sustainability of the American economy and that China did not emerge as an inevitable number one power and certainly not a democratic power, not one espousing democratic principles, but uh, they become number one. If, if, he, if that didn't happen and they can be traced back to Trump, we have a, we have a transformative president. So where does that leave the new world? Where does that leave the, new, uh, the world order, rather? Where does that leave the, glo leave the global economy? Well, right now, to be as generous as possible, I think it's an open question. It's a huge gamble that the Trump vision will sustain itself and will turn around the economy in a way that's not only good for America, but a rejuvenated America le leading to, to the leadership of America economically, politically, and otherwise. But at the moment, uh, I would say that's a, there's a big question mark whether that's going to happen. Right now we have tariffs, which are, remember, you and I talked about this, tariffs are a tax on your own your own domestic consumers. 
And my next question was, where does that leave free trade? Where does that leave that global market, which we've well, all been talking about for decades now? Yes, and, and again, we have an open question. I, my, my own political science, not I'm mean, not an economist, but my political science uh, hat says that a world filled with uncertainty because of an unpredictable America is not a safer world economically or in terms of... Mm. of um, of security in terms of traditional security concerns but the economist who would follow perhaps what's going on maybe political scientists as well under trump can say no this is a gamble and he may win that gamble uh... my suspicion is that we are in for a very rough ride and that this gamble is too chaotic it's not coherent it's not a thought-out integrated policy there's no vision for america's role in the world but it could answer you know you ask ten years from now what are mm-hmm. we going to think, and I think that's still an open question. Fascinating. Elliot Tepper has been with us, emeritus professor of political science, Carleton University, talking about the legacy of the forty-first president and uh, how that may leave an impact on the current. Uh, Elliot, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on nine hundred CHML.